So today we are going to be reviewing client relationships, toxic relationships, client communication and intercommunication as a whole and discuss the types of clients that you have, what you can do about them. And uh, in the end, if you need to fire your client. We're going to begin our, our discussion today with Chloe. Hello. Lots of juicy stuff we can talk about today. Firing a client, not exactly the, um, well, it's definitely not the best conversation starter, but unfortunately true to most business and definitely something to watch out for. Um, clients and customers, definitely the best and the worst part of the business. <laughs> definitely gives you the high and lows as well. Um, but it could probably bring you a lot of joy, a lot of headaches, um, especially if you're not kind of intentionally curating your customers. At the end of the day, the theme is really quality over quantity, right? You can always have like a great top line revenue because you have these high dollar value or high volume of customers. But, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the day, if 80% of your customer base is stressing you the hell out and your staff, you're probably finding yourself more on a fast track to, I don't know, road toward prison rather than freedom at the <laughs> <laughs> and you start wondering why the hell did I start doing this anyways? Yeah, precisely. <laughs> precisely. You end up painting yourself into a corner and then you don't know how to get out of it. Yeah. That is the worst feeling to have, especially when it's your business. Mm-hmm. Your corner. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So, uh, so why don't we discuss what the signs of a uh, what a good client looks like? All right. So, if we're also lucky, uh, we have plenty of great clients. Um, usually, with these good clients, um, they're the ones that you know have those realistic expectations, right? They're also really great at communicating what their expectations are to you. They're clear. Mm-hmm. They're also mm-hmm. listening to what your expectations are for them. Um, they respect that. Um, they know the value of your service, of the product you're providing. They're also very open to ideas and they kind of value your opinions and knowledge on what you're doing. Um, this one I especially think is true of great clients is that they have the utmost respect of your time. And, Absolutely. you know, yeah. And lastly, like they kind of take they take your business seriously. You know, they don't take mm-hmm. you for granted. There's definitely a strong and um, a strong respect for your business and for you. And usually that's a great client. Mm-hmm. And hopefully you really like each other. <laughs> <laughs> well, I kind of feel like it all goes hand in hand, right? If, uh, if they are respectful of you, they're respectful of your time. They take your value. They, they take your opinions and your knowledge seriously, then you will genuinely like one another. Yeah, and that's kind of like that's that's kind of where you want to be with your customers, right? I mean, they say mm-hmm. like there's a true thing about falling in love with your customers, and that's yes. that really grows your business, and it also makes you and your company and your staff and your culture uh, feel really good. So that's a that's a great thing to have. Agreed. So um, just so that it's not always about us, um, for <laughs> listeners out there, we can always do, we, let's do a little exercise. Um, so this exercise is, you know, giving you a chance to kind of think through your favorite customers. So, you know, take out a pen and pencil and paper. <laughs> <laughs> pen, pencil, paper, whatever you would like, something, <laughs> crayon, lipstick, whatever the case may be, but write down your favorite client's name and kind of think about, you know, what is the characteristics of that client? You know, write about what's your favorite things, um, everything's about that client that you can think of. Now, of course, if you're listening to us and you're driving, definitely do not take your hands off the wheel. Yes, exactly. So in that case, you can definitely (laughs) just picture the client in your mind and just kind of think through how you would describe them and kind of what... Mm -hmm. Uh, patterns or what characteristics you can see in them that actually makes them that great quality client. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I tell you what, I also kind of feel like if you are stuck and this actually kind of, well, yeah, it does. It, it works with friends. It works with family. Uh, when you write down what it is that you want, when you write down the kind of client that you want, you might be stuck with all of your clients being bad clients and you wondering 
what is hap- what what is it about me that is attracting this to to me it is good for you to find write down articulate what it is that you really like um and somehow bring that to the forefront of your mind and it will you'll always think of it as you bring new clients on to your portfolio yeah that's right i mean you might find a pattern that you're having that isn't Mm -hmm. isn't particularly great Mm -hmm. um and i I like how you kind of brought it back to like family and friends too but oftentimes you know with our business the tone comes from the top Mm-hmm. So if you're attracting people in your life that may not may not be the best uh, influence on you, if you're doing it in your personal life, most likely you're doing it in your business life as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, getting really clear as to what that looks like and who you'd rather be doing business with will make it a lot easier for you to identify those kind of people you want to attract in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we're going to dive in and we're going to give you guys some examples of these toxic clients and uh, while we do that, we're also going to share with you what what are some key words that you may hear them say so that after you've listened to our podcast and you are put in a position where you are with one of these examples, you'll hear something that will raise a red flag to you that this person may either become a toxic client or they already are a toxic client. And we'll give you some ideas as to how you may be able to fix this. In the end, we will help you figure out if it's something that you just can't fix and it's time to fire that client and what are the best steps for you to take so that you don't completely annihilate that bridge. Uh, in saying that, uh, I do want my listeners to or our listeners to better understand that these clients aren't this way because they enjoy it. It's not because of any other reason than someone has let them get away with it. Someone let them get away with more and more and more, and they are now in a place where they have become one of these examples. My favorite is the unrealistic client, <laughs> and and I feel like especially this time of year, I come across them more and more. It's it's tax season, and uh, a lot of times they show up. They don't respect your time. They don't respect your work. They don't respect your fees. Uh, and they'll have unrealistic standards and high demands. They'll question your ability. Could, can you do this? Could you do this? And why did you do it this way? I would have done it that way. Um, they could also possibly refuse to pay for service that they don't feel is valuable. That can, that can truly hurt you. But what you may hear them say is, I need this done today. I thought you could get this done faster. Why is this costing so much? What I asked for wasn't that big of a request. Uh, the way, the best way to fix this is to avoid the mess. Make your terms and conditions crystal clear. If your letter of engagement is 15 pages long, then it's 15 pages long. They need to sign that paper that says, <laughs> I will not put up with your BS. And once they've signed that, then you can use that in your conversation per our agreement or If you'll remember in the letter of engagement, such X, Y, and Z, you have to be extremely clear with these clients of what your expectations are of them. You have to create Mm. an ironclad process showing exactly what you're expecting of this client. What uh, One of the things that I do is I actually created a, a workflow process. And in each lane, I have myself in one lane. I have the service provider in another lane. I have the client in another lane, and then whatever that natural progression is, may it be a a CPA, a business coach, a financial advisor, you know, whatever that next natural progression is of whatever it is that we're doing. And in each lane, it says what I will do and in the amount of time that I will do it in, what you will do and what amount of time you have to do it in. (laughs) And and I tell you what, I under-promise over and over again because I know that we can do it and we can knock it out of the park, but I'm not going to tell you that because then you're going to expect me <laughs> to knock it out of the park every time. I'm going to tell you, uh, yeah, yeah, I can play, I can play, I can play baseball. Um, so under promising and over delivering will really help stave off that, that, uh, that type of client. Well, I also uh, find with, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. You also find, sorry. Oh, I was going to say, I also find with these typical, uh, type of clients, the unrealistic ones, they tend to uh, be a little bit of a bully when it comes to the conversation too. So you mm-hmm. almost do have to kind of fight for your spot and fight for that clarity when yeah. you're talking to them about what the expectation is because usually they are unrealistic because 
you know, they've probably gotten that way. Like you said, people have let them kind of go, get along, go along the way they are. And they're mm-hmm. used to getting their way. And they think that their way is right. So they will bully their way into a conversation oftentimes. So it might be hard for you to even lay out expectations. But yeah. you kind of have to put your foot down. Um, and if anything, they'll probably respect you a little bit for putting your foot down, pushing back on them and saying, no, 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 this is this is this is what you need to do for this relationship to for this business deal to be yes. a success. And yes. so you just you just kind of got to buck up and just mm-hmm. make sure they hear what you're saying. Yes. And on the other side of that spectrum is the invisible client. The invisible client yes. probably is just as annoying. They, they don't say anything at all. The I believe client, they have a new word for this. It's called ghosting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. It is. It's, it's the client that ghosts you. And the worst is when they ghost you when they owe you money. Uh, so, you know, they, they're really bad at communicating. They make it nearly impossible for you to move forward on anything. And when the client communicates, it's usually inconsistent they have unattainable expectations for your responses, and they will constantly delay projects and services. It turns into a colossal waste of time, and if they're delaying work, they're also delaying cash flow. And sometimes the worst of it is, is if you are working towards something with someone higher up, you know, that next step person, say, I'm, I'm going to use it because it's in my world, taxes. They're not giving you what you need in order for the CPA to file the taxes, but they also won't tell you if you need to file an extension. And you're like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. So <laughs> it, it can it can really cause a lot of stress. And so what you're going to hear mm-hmm. from them, those keywords are nothing at all. You're not going to hear anything at all. So and that that right there will be your your red flag. So what you can do is if you put in your pro- onboarding process, ask the client how they prefer to communicate and what their usual response time is. And you might even want to ask them, what are some things that are in your process that you don't like? If you put it into their, yeah, if you put it into their court and have them communicate or articulate that they suck, then you can work off of that. It is clear Mm -hmm. they've spoken to you about it. You'll have to make the deadlines clear and tell them what's going to happen if that deadline is not met. These type of clients need to know what results look like to inspire them to follow through because it's one thing to tell them if you don't do this, then this terrible thing is going to happen. But it's another thing to tell them if you do this, then this amazing thing is going to happen. So it's almost like, you know, positive reinforcement for them. You have to make the decision, make decision making easier and give them two Clearly define things to choose from, not, hey, um, what do you want to do next or how do you wish to proceed? Because especially if the person already has a hard time articulating themselves and then the things that they need or want, they're not going to be able to answer that. So you'll have to answer it for them. You get just like you would a child. I have these two options. Which of these two options do you want? It'll make it easier for them and likely they'll communicate with you. Well, it's probably also just a good thing to just do with anybody i feel like with with, uh, clients that are a little difficult sometimes just giving them just uh scaling down the number of options and just say hey here are two or three options a b Mm -hmm. and c Mm -hmm. which one would you like you know when you start making things easier for them especially for these invisible clients since communication is already a challenge right make it concise make it to the point and um communicate with them the way they want to be communicated with maybe some people are better by texting some people are better Mm -hmm. by email some Mm -hmm. people better on by phone whichever the case may be you know you can accommodate and you can adjust and you know get a hold of them yeah exactly and those are things that you could also kind of flesh out in your onboarding process if you when you're asking them client uh, sorry when you're asking them questions uh you can you can kind of flesh that out then Another toxic client is the entitled client, which I feel like I'm seeing more and more of. Uh, the client takes, well, I see more and more of them, but I don't take them on, but I see them. <laughs> so well, tell me back. more. Yeah, uh, they, they're taking more time than they're worth. Mm. And this client also feels that they are the only client you have and they treat your time and your communication as though they are the only shining star in your universe. Some I of feel those. like a lot of our listeners are probably nodding their head and everybody <laughs> is probably calling to is calling to mind an image of somebody they're working with today who feels like they are your sole client and they every every important project they have for you must be the only project you have. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And I tell you what, I, I definitely fell into this earlier and very, very early on in my career. Never again. And I use it as a as a warning to everyone to not fall into this because it can make you feel your self-value really you makes makes you feel really low. Some of the things that they're going to say are, I'm not asking for much, or if you could do just this one thing, or I'm going to need you to answer the phone next time I call you on a Saturday morning. And that actually is something that was said to me. <laughs> I was like, uh, what? Anyway, um, so in order to fix this, Every time this client asks you of something that is outside of your comfort zone, you got to remind them of your terms. You got to have terms. Those terms have to be written in your letter of engagement. Those terms have to be written down somewhere, maybe in your onboarding, whatever. It has to be set in the beginning. And every time that they step outside of that, you have to remind them. And that client needs to know when they're stepping beyond your terms of service. If this client is an older client, this is a sticky situation. Let's say this is a client that's been with you from day one and they have slowly become this entitled client, it's going to be time to renegotiate your contract. You may have to throw in something appealing to have them comply, but you you do need to set those terms. They can't just take advantage of you because they've been your client for 10, 20 years. And so. some of us pick up those clients in the start of our business. Yes. You know, when, you're, when you're young, you're just starting out. I mean, rather your business is young and starting out. You You feel like you have to take on anybody and everybody yeah sometimes you'll pick up one of these clients which you know may seemingly seem like they're a good client because they're asking you nicely oh would Mm -hmm. you please pick up the phone on saturday yeah could you just do this one little thing for me you know it comes it's kind of masked in a little bit of kindness so you say Mm -hmm. yes to it but you 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 quickly do realize and i think everybody does is when you're starting to get taken advantage of yeah, and uh, what actually happened to me was that I would get little gifts or I would get treated to lunch or, you know, whatever it may be. It was like this, you know, I'll give you this thing, I'll throw you this bone, but in, in order for me to throw this bone to you, you have to work until 2 a.m., you know, whatever it whatever it may be. But I found, I figured out very quickly that this person is trying to buy my buy my time and kind of forced me into a box I didn't feel comfortable in. And the last one that I will be mentioning is the disorganized client, which, again, I, I, I'm experiencing this. Actually, we, we experienced this. My company just experienced this. And we recently fired a person um, for being the disorganized client. They cannot make it from point A to point B. It, you wonder sometimes how they make it through the day. You did brush your teeth, right? Like, it's one of those people that... How do you survive? Uh, they're drowning in responsibilities. You know that they are, but they're not going to let go of control long enough to let you do what you need to do. You just, you're, t- you're like, you almost feel like, why did you call me if you're not going to, why did you call upon me to do the things that you're not willing to let go of? They mm-hmm. just won't get out of their own way. Some of the things that they're going to hear is, you're going to hear is, did I not get that for you? Are you or are you sure? Oh, I, I know I said I would do X. I, I just ran out of time. I'll get it to you next week. Oh, can't you do what you need to do without it? I, I just don't have the time. <laughs> or huh, the one that did it for me was, well, that's something that I normally take care of. So you don't have to worry about that. <sighs> oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, well, I kind of do because what you said is like the core of what I'm supposed to be doing for you. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I would um, imagine that you probably spend a lot of time um, in your inbox yeah. emailing these t- this type of client with this kind of um, characteristic because you're trying yeah. to catch up and follow up and follow up mm-hmm. and catch up again and remind them to do things and whatnot. And you're going through your inbox to kind of see if they did respond to that or they did not. So their disorganization tends to kind of seep over to your your life after a little yes. while. So. Yeah, so so the best ways to fix this is to know that most of the decision making is going to fall on your shoulders. You're going to have to take the reins with this client. And if you don't feel like you can, you're going to just have to cut them out because if you cannot if you cannot lead this type of horse, this wild stallion, um you're you're really not going to be able to fix it at all. 
Clients like this are like this because of their lack of organizational skills. So pull from this client all the things you foresee yourself needing, any kind of contact information, any kind of passwords, any kind of platforms that you need uh, information for, whatever it is that you need. You're going to have to pull that from the jump. And you'll need to know beforehand whether or not you'll have the time to babysit this kind of client. If if you don't think you have the kind of time that it's going to take, you're going to have to pass on them. doesn't matter how lucrative they could potentially be because they're not going to be lucrative at all. That's right. Probably a lot of handholding in this scenario. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. So let's talk about a few more a few more uh, toxic clients we have listed here. Um, there is what we call the boss client. So this is the client that sh- treats you more like an employee than a hired service. Mm-hmm. They tend to override your recommendations, your processes and bulldoze your work and probably every conversation mm-hmm. you have with them. And a client will keep pushing your line in the sand to get what he or she wants. So, you know, they're kind of just always testing the limits and pushing you just a little bit farther, just a little bit farther, just a little Mm -hmm. bit farther. Right. So oftentimes with these kind of clients, you'll hear, I won't sign this agreement until you change X, Y and Z. Mm -hmm. I probably I, I must approve the services before accepting your invoice. Or I expect you to work on my time. I can't accept your services if you can't answer me when I need you. So <laughs> probably something along those lines that, you know, we've all heard once or twice before if you happen to cross the pass with this kind of client. Mm-hmm. So there are a couple of fixes for this, right? Chances are the client will email you at all hours of the night and weekends. For yourself, you probably want to kind of resist the urge to respond and make it clear to what your response times are. So I'm a big fan of this. Um, certainly with every business, every business has business hours. And um, if you don't keep it for yourself, because sometimes when you're starting up, you do kind of have that urge to kind of service somebody at all hours of the day and night and whenever it's possible, right? Because any business at that point is probably exciting business, but you kind of want to be careful what precedents you're leaving for yourself in the future for this client that may be with you for a long time and certainly for your staff because your staff may not respond as kindly to being on call on nights and weekends. So this is always a good time to kind of set the uh, set the uh, rules with your clients to let them know, you know, these are my business hours and then you yourself needs to discipline yourself so you're not answering emails at night and the weekends. Also make it clear to these clients what your processes are and don't waver from them no matter how nice of a gesture you think it can be. Um, ultimately, you know, if you change your process and you make an exception here, you know, kind of think about in the long run, you know, when you can make an exception for this client, you know, what would it look like if you started making exceptions for the next 10 clients and what mm-hmm. would it look like if you make exceptions for the next 20 and 50 clients? Can you hold that up? And once you start thinking about it kind of in that um, scenario and kind of in that um, predicament, you'll start quickly realizing that changing your process for this one client is not worth it in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. And to your point of the um, I won't sign this agreement unless you change X, Y or Z, that right there should be your line. No, I, I can't change it. So I, I don't think that we're the right company for you. Yeah, that's definitely a red flag. Now, it does sometimes depend on what they're changing. Um, oh, yeah. Sometimes it's I'm, minor, but oftentimes I would say in my experience too, 99% of the time, usually when somebody wants to change their agreement, they're trying to change something major. Yes. Maybe it's your terms. Um, yes. It's something that's in your process, which already in itself is a bit of a red flag. Mhm. Yeah, I I had someone who was a very short-lived uh client where they had to approve each invoice. Um and I was like, yeah, we're not we're not doing this. You can't approve the work that was done. <laughs> like, how I don't know how to approve it. Well, okay, fine, cool. Maybe we're we're not the right people for you. So, yeah. you, you, you have to you have to be co- you have to be confident enough in yourself to be able to say no. Yeah, I mean, I maybe this might be a little bit of a tangent, but one thing that I know I instilled in my business was I did auto pay. I required all the clients yeah. to be on auto pay because we had a subscription based kind of um, service. And it's funny because that's something that a lot of um, companies in the professional services realm think it's not possible to do auto pay. 
And when I instilled it, I really thought that a lot of my clients, my, my existing clients were going to flip out. And so my future clients and honestly, none of my existing clients really fought too much. But it was actually a great red flag going forward because there were a couple prospects we, I had picked up along the way that would go through the negotiation, go through everything. And then when it came to the auto pay, they're like, mm, I don't think we're comfortable with this. Mm-hmm. And and our auto pay, of course, is only a term, meaning that it's actually 30 days after we perform the services. So we're mm-hmm. already putting in quite a big cushion. And mm-hmm. so, you know, for, for me, that was a red flag saying, so you're basically telling me you're not going to pay for what you received. <laughs> Okay, so maybe yeah. this is not going to work out, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but it did it did kind of save some heartache, right? Because yeah. um, how, how much time do we spend in our business chasing on clients for payments? It'd be nice yeah. to know ahead of time if you're going to have a, a client who's going to pay on time. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I will tell you, though, it's also really interesting, too. You'll know how much your client respects you because when I had this auto pays, um, I was offering 30 days post-service. And for clients who weren't comfortable, but they respected um, us and what we did, they would actually come back and say, how about I just pay you ahead of time? I was like, well, even better. I like that. <laughs> I will take that then. Thank you very much. <laughs> but no, it's good to set boundaries up front. Yes. All right. Another type of these client is the unreasonable client. So this is the client that you see doesn't see any value in your work. And well, even worse, nickel dime you for every single task. And then on top of that, they probably won't pay. They'll delay your pay or make it very clear how unhappy they are of your price, your process and your work and likely with every invoice you send. So -hmm. things you often hear is, are you sure you took that much amount of time? I just don't see how that happened. Or why am I being charged for this? Or even better, I heard I could get your service for a tenth of your cost. So why am I paying this much now? Oh, man, they get on my nerves. <laughs> but OK, a <laughs> little bit of an insult, right? Absolutely. Yes. Because, you know, anybody who goes in business knows that, you know, you're you're working really hard for your clients. And to hear clients to say mm-hmm. this is a little demoralizing. Yes. So to fix this, what you want to do is you want to be very firm with your terms and conditions. Um, try to keep uh, keep away from cost plus pricing. So. That's basically a pricing strategy where your your selling price is determined by adding a specific amount of markup to each of your products unit cost. Um, this tends to be the root um, tends to be at the root of the client's anger with you most of the time. And of course, with these kind of clients too, especially if they're going to go back and forth, hot and cold with you. The best thing you can do for yourself is to keep track of and document everything. Yes. So emails will come really handy in this case. Mm-hmm. Uh, clients will often try to catch you where you don't have proof otherwise. They'll say that, wait, we didn't talk about this. And the best thing you can do is pull out something that says, you signed this on this line. <laughs> or you know what I do with um, when I'm put in that position is, and I tell um, everyone on my staff to do this too. Like I know it makes it very redundant and I know you don't feel Sometimes you don't feel comfortable doing this, but even if you just hung up the phone, email them and say, I'm just following up on our conversation, want to make sure I understood you correctly, and then just lay out everything that they said. And when they come back with a, yes, you're right, that's what we talked about, that's what you you got them. You got the proof, and now they can't come back to you next week and say, I never said that, because that has happened that has happened, at least for us. And we're like, well, here's here are the receipts, my friend. <laughs> like These are the emails that we discussed. So, yeah, we did talk about it. Yeah. Because sometimes these clients will. Yeah, because sometimes these clients, this type of client will definitely try and catch you on the phone more so than via email for that very reason. Oof. Yeah. So then we have the indecisive client. I think this one will kind of drive you crazy half the time, too. Uh, (laughs) These are the clients. And, you know, and oftentimes these are really good people, but it is it is it will drive you crazy because they're usually the ones who never seem to be able to make up their mind. And then if um, they do make up their mind, oftentimes they'll want to change it repeatedly. So here, then there and then here, then there. (laughs) <laughs> and then because of that, um, you're reacting to what their changes and what they want. And then oftentimes because of that, you keep pivoting for every one of their requests. And then they end up not wanting to change for the not wanting to pay for the changes that they ask for. Mm-hmm. So things you'll hear from these type of clients is 
I'm not sure if I want that. <laughs> or maybe we shouldn't do that. Let's change it to this. What do you think about that? Or I don't know if I should hire the service you provide. I hear I don't need it, but some say I do. What do you think about that? <laughs> <laughs> and I love that they would ask, what do you think? Because they don't really care what you think. Well, <laughs> I think really also, they have a hard time making up their mind, right? It's yeah. almost like they're afraid to kind of commit to one decision. So they yeah. almost want to push it on you. And then if you give yeah. them an, an answer and it's not quite the answer they want, they'll feel like you talked them into it. And at least yeah. it kind of takes the responsibility off of them, right? Mm -hmm. So it is, it is really difficult to fix a client who can't make a decision. So try to make your process as crystal clear as you can and kind of leave nothing to the imagination, right? So just mm -hmm. be precise in what you're saying. Um, also include examples of what you plan to offer the client along the expected results so they know what their decision could possibly look like, right? Mm -hmm. So here, you know, again, I think it's also really helpful with indecisive clients, you know, kind of narrow their options, Mm -hmm. Give them two or three, A, B, C mm -hmm. again, and just let them choose. Simplify yes. it for them so they don't have a whole entire array of a mm -hmm. box of crayons to choose from. Give them three colors <laughs> and say pick one and go with it, right? It's actually doing you good, but it's also doing them good. Absolutely. Absolutely. But then you try all these things and none of them work. And now you feel like you are at the end of your rope and it's it's probably time you part ways. But you you can't you can't you're you can't just cut the strings. You have to follow these steps uh, for no other reason than to keep the integrity of your company and your reputation intact. And just know that this isn't just about you. This is about your business. And this is about the ease of Google reviews. Yelp reviews or any other way that they can annihilate your company. So you have to ask yourself, is this affecting your ego? Is this decision based on your ego? You have to ask yourself that. Like, am I upset because I am personally offended or am I upset because they are questioning the integrity of my company? From there, you have to ask yourself, is this ethical? Will firing this client hurt your reputation? Meaning, are you firing them in the middle of a major project? If you're a contractor and you are putting in an addition to the home and you decide that you're going to fire this client, how is this client going to get that major hole in their wall fixed? You, <laughs> you have to think about that. Where are you in the project or where are you with this client? And is it going to make them so upset with you that they're going to hurt your reputation. Next, are you in breach of your contract? You may say, to heck with it. I am done with you. I am no longer going to work with you. Well, does it say in your contract that you're not allowed to do that? You might not even know. You might not even realize that it's in your contract. Uh, but you should make sure that whatever it is you're choosing to do isn't going to be in breach of it. Because if they figure out that you were in breach, they could come after you legally and you want to avoid that. So do you also owe them any work? Is this the type of project where you had made promise in your contract of finishing something and you have not finished it? You have to make sure that you are at least complete or can be complete by the end of your relationship. And lastly, you have to ask, have you tried to fix the issues? You can't just fire them just because you don't like them as a person. Maybe maybe one of your staff is working with them. And, and I've been in that situation where one of my staff might be working with them. And I'm like, I just if they breathe in the wrong direction, just tell me and they are gone. But, <laughs> but, but then, you know, maybe the staff is like, I don't have a problem with that person. It, it could be a personality issue. And that has happened to me where I'm like, that person just grates on my nerves. But my staff ha has a lovely relationship with them. So. I have to ask myself, you know, is this, is it a personal thing? Am I, why would it, why am I firing them? Have I tried to fix these issues? I've had to ask all of those questions. So I've had when a you're, flip situation, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Where my, my employee, actually, my employees actually was, um, Oh, just uh, with this one client contact, just my gosh. And I can totally understand it and I can completely see why. And it just riled them up. And um, it got to a point where I think a couple of my employees were starting to save emails just to CYA themselves because this yeah. client would just be, uh, we had this one client contact who was just like passive aggressive. 
Yeah. Right. So sometimes we'll come back and say, well, why did you do this? And then then they have to pull out the email that says, you told us. You told to us. Do to, this. Yeah. See, I'm telling you, you got to yes. keep them receipts, even if it so, makes you feel like you're being <laughs> redundant and you're repeating yourself. It does not matter. Repeat yourself if you have to. Yeah. So for for the, that situation, it was a little bit hard for uh, me because it was it wasn't the executive of the company that was doing this. It was somebody underneath the executive. Mm. And that person wasn't directly rude to me when I was present in conversation. So it seems like it was only directed to the staff mm-hmm. in the company. And so, you know, that a lot of this had a lot of these questions had to come into play. You know, is it ethical? Uh-huh. Would it be a breach of contract? You know, what would this yeah. mean for our reputation? Because it, it is a personnel issue at the end of the day. And how far are you willing to go to try to fix it? Mm-hmm. Um, and we did. We tried everything to fix it. Um, um, I'm sorry to say that eventually we, we mutually parted ways if that was kind mm-hmm. of the best way of ending the relationship. Um, but we parted on we parted on a high note. We finished we finished our obligation. We finished out what we were supposed to do, um, and then we you know helped the client transition on to another provider. Um, personally, for me, it was more of losing losing our employees to insanity. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and just stress and unhappiness to a point of saying. And this was a high dollar client too. It was a very mm-hmm. high dollar client. They were very they were paying us very good money. Um, but honestly, you know, was it worth the happiness of all my employees? Yes the morale of the uh, of the team and ultimately just decided it wasn't and you know ended up having a hard hard talk with their executive and you know that was the best solution we can come up with mm-hmm. which it's uh, interesting that you mentioned pretty much everything that i was going to mention in the checklist before you fire the client so you did <laughs> you did it right you did it the right way uh so our suggestion is to get you got to give them a heads up you got to let them know that this is this is possibly not working out for us but you know what i'm not going to leave you high and dry um maybe you can make it personal it's not you it's me um, <laughs> that good old line it's really yeah. not you it's just me <laughs> yeah maybe you know we don't have the right bandwidth maybe but maybe yeah, we're, we're not the right company for you you know whatever it may be but yes. if you if you leave it in that manner then they're not going to take it as personally and they'll they'll be more understanding you also have to keep it confidential obviously um and then be polite be as polite as you possibly can be and then also suggest to them hey you know what i'm not going to leave you high and dry i have some other references that i can send in your direction uh and we will we will work together to transition out of our company to the next company we will work together with the next person that you choose you know what whatever it is because you know what it's going to do it's going to make them happy with the segue and they're going to be less likely to bash you online because in the end it does not matter how how much how how huge your your social media platform is or how many views you get or blah 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 what matters are reviews people especially these days care the most about reviews so um, so we with every show, we have uh, some famous example to help anchor you to something that may be more familiar to you because we can we can talk all day long about our own experiences and maybe you can find some things that feel personal to you as well. But it's impo- also important to point out some people who are, you know, in the top, in the in the in the upper echelon that that connects what we're talking about to to you and your experiences. So I have a, a famous example of a toxic relationship that I, I it's interesting because I really admire and have admired Clive Davis. Do you know who Clive Davis is? I do ever- not. No. Who is he? Okay. So Clive Davis, uh, he. Okay. So first, first off, the toxic relationship that I'm I'm going to um, discuss is one between Clive Davis and David Winshaw. Clive Davis, he was super famous during the 80s because he was um the discoverer of Whitney Houston he was by her side until the day she died uh oh. Clive Davis was the head of Arista Records and then he went on to have his own he he left Arista and went on to starting his own label he I can't I, I can't even begin to tell you how many how many musicians in the 80s were uh due to Clive Davis having discovered them I mean he was he was incredible uh, and at one time, uh, he and David Winshaw were co-leaders of CBS. 
The relationship became toxic when it was discovered that Clive Davis was regularly using the funds from CBS to develop financial stability in his own personal life. And he was using those that money to throw extravagant parties. David Winshaw exposed him for it. But the funny thing is, <laughs> well, actually, so he exposed him and like everyone was shocked that this illegal activity was happening by somebody as respectable and respected as Clive Davis. But the funny thing is, is that David Winshaw didn't actually expose him at all. In the end, it was found that he also was engaging in the exact same illegal activity. Oh, my God. He just he didn't was- know the other person was doing it, too. Is that what yeah. it is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it really just took one partner turning on the other to expose the criminal acts. Yeah. So David, David and Clive had a massive falling out. So David blew a whistle on Clive and then didn't realize that in his in the process that he would be investigated as well and uncovered as being a part of the same parties, (laughs) the same the same uh, vacation wow. homes and like everything else. Like who, well, what is wrong with you? But oh hey, my gosh. <laughs> well, pot, meat, kettle. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so that I think is probably one of the most famous um, toxic relationships that maybe not everybody is aware of, but we could go on and on about them. There are so many famous toxic partnerships, um, but it's really hard to find one. And that that one is really a partnership, not so much a toxic business relationship. And to be honest, there's very little, very little to be found. Well, I think it shows a good example about how toxicity, toxicity kind of just seeps into things. Yes. It's a yeah. slow, it's a slow drug. It's a slow poison that kind of seeps mm-hmm. into it. It's like drops in your coffee every morning. Yep. But uh, if you would like to dive a little bit deeper, we do have some books that we can recommend we'd like to at the end of each show or near the end of each show to discuss some books platforms apps um you know any anything that helps you go beyond our podcast right so uh and there aren't a whole lot of books on the subject in and of itself but there is a lot out there on how to create a company culture and in all honesty your company culture is really going to determine the kind of client you bring to your, your, you lead, you attract into your company in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. If you have a, a nondescript culture, if you have a indistinct culture, it really will invite any and every kind of client. So my recommended reading is a book by Alan Willett named Leading the Unleadable. Although the book focuses on person in, people inside of your company, the examples can be applied to clients as well. It's a really great book. I truly, truly um, enjoyed it and, and suggest it. Uh, I also thoroughly enjoy Toxic Client, Knowing and Avoiding Problem Customers by Garrett Sutton. It shares a lot of the ideas that we shared here, and it dives a little deeper than we can go in a podcast. So I highly suggest that these two, that you go get either one of these two from your local library if you can. They're a good starting point in creating the kind of mindset that is going to invite a good client as opposed to a challenging one. Yeah, I know. And I I completely agree with you there in a sense that you, you know, what you want to do is if you have a great company culture, you'll attract the better clients. Um, It's all intertwined at the end of the day, what you do for your company. And I I really do believe that no matter how big of a company you have, whether you know it or not, and I I would think you have to be pretty mega sized at some point for this not to be true or as impactful, but tone from the top. You know, you being the owner of the business, who you attract in your life, Mm -hmm. how you carry on seeps into your culture and essentially your business will attract those kind of people as well. So Mm -hmm. on my end, I had a uh, I'm recommending a couple books, too. I'm really just creating an amazing, uh, amazing customer service experience. And again, mm-hmm. if you do that too, oftentimes toxic guidance will kind of weed themselves out before they yes. even get to you. Or you'll create a company that they aspire to hire. And in which case, by default, you tend to change their ways and they'll be more willing to accommodate what you're asking for because you have such a great company that they are willing and they really want to work with you. Mm-hmm. So one book on that is uh, Delivering Happiness. Um uh, a Path to Profits, Passion, and Purpose. This is by the Zappos CEO, Tony Shea, who uh, unfortunately passed away, I think, last year, if not earlier yeah. this year. But that Me. is a... Yeah, I think, I think it was, it was last like, year. 
think it was like late last late year. Late last year, yeah. Yeah, yeah. A tragic, tragic uh, story yeah. in the end. But, you know, for many, many years, he was such an advocate for just company culture and employee happiness. And, of course, he instilled that in Zappos, which, you know, did amazingly mm-hmm. well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then there's the other book, which is the, the Starbucks Experience, The Five Principles for Turning Ordinary into Extraordinary. Um, that is by Joseph. Oh, I'm going to butcher his last name. Kelly. <laughs> yeah, you, 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 you got this. I'm sorry. Sorry. I'm so sorry to Joseph out there. I'm, I'm going to say McKelly. Maybe Kelly or Michelle. Oh, Kelly. <laughs> I did not practice this before we came on a podcast. Thank you very much. <laughs> Please excuse us, all listeners. In any case, the book itself kind of dives into some personalized customer experience um, that is, you know, really part of this Main Street marketplace now. And um, again, you know, nobody can deny the the culture of customer service when it comes to Starbucks. So. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm not a um, fan the, of the coffee, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a fan of the coffee too. But I do love going into a Starbucks and getting in the line and yeah. eating bris- and just sitting in Starbucks. I'm I'm one of those kids. Um, <laughs> bring my laptop and you'll find me in a Starbucks for hours. <laughs> um, but you know, ultimately at the end of the day, um, I, I I believe that when you when you own a business and you're running a business and you're managing and growing a business. Um, you really just you can't control what other people do and who they are. And, you know, that is just the truth when it comes to customers. You can't always pick and choose. And sometimes you may not even know. Oftentimes we have customers that are great in the beginning and then later on they turn out to be super toxic. Mm-hmm. And so you can learn the skills to kind of recognize the good clients from the bad clients and how to deal with the bad clients. But at the end of the day, what you want to do is you, you want to be able to tr- to keep the largest uh, client base possible with the most variety types of clients, right? So mm-hmm. I tend to like to cut to the chase, uh, kind of find a common denominator when um, that can be applied to most situations. Mm-hmm. And to do that, even in this situation, I think you truly kind of have to look inward as the founder of your business. All right, so there's one last book that I want to recommend um, for us, and it's really all about kind of building yourself up to be able to deal with more types of people who may get on your nerves or on your business nerves. Because, again, you can't you can't control how other people are. And um, certainly throughout your life, you'll probably be attracting quite a array of those of any kind of people. All right. The last book I want to recommend is called The Code of Extraordinary Mind by Vishen Lakhiani. And basically what this does is it kind of breaks down um, a method in which you can kind of build yourself up to be able to handle a lot of different types of people that may come into your world. So at this point, ladies and gentlemen, if you have little kids in a room or whatnot, you may want to cover their years about to say a semi-sensitive word. But chapter nine of this book, um, what the author is doing is introducing you to a concept of how to be unfuckable. Right. So what does that mean? So this is a word that's been floating around the Internet. And the meaning of it is when you're unfuckwithable, it means that you're truly at peace and in touch with yourself. So nothing anyone says or does will affect you and no negativity can touch you. And I think this is the ultimate superpower when it comes to working with toxic clients, toxic people in your life is really if you build yourself up to be able to handle your outer world better because your inner world is at peace, then you really can kind of go head on and face some clients that are more challenging than others with a a sense of um, calmness and confidence. Mm -hmm. And that way, you know, you may have a greater success of being able to attract a larger client base with different types of clients and not have it ruffle your feather too much or um, your business as well. Yep. I agree. And when you have that kind of when you give off that kind of energy, you're going to receive it. Right. You're not. And this is this is somewhat, well, not completely unrelated, but it's a good thing to keep in mind. I remember many, many, many years ago when I used to work for, I don't know, insert uncle's name here. And I, uh, I remember we worked in we worked in jewelry and he used to say, why do you think people go to Tiffany's? 
They could be coming here where there are, it's a whole building full of jewelers. Mm-hmm. And he goes, but they, they, they will choose to go to Tiffany's. Why would they do that when they could buy the same thing here for probably three times less? Exact mm-hmm. same thing. The reason why is because of the experience. They'll walk into a Tiffany's so that they can have that bag. Right. Later, many years later, I brought that point forward to anthropology. If you've noticed over the years, Target's clothes look a lot like the anthropology's clothing. <laughs> it's like it, it's like they're merging into the same company. It's so weird. But you walk into anthropology for that experience. Their clothing's very oh, absolutely, expensive, right? Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. They're like three <laughs> times more than what you probably should be paying for it. But totally. I love it. If I, if I ever the- can, I will outfit my entire house with that store. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I, I joke with my daughter, but it's not really a joke. So hopefully no one like however many years from now when she does get married, hears this. But I've told her that she needs to um, she needs to put on her registry like two of everything so that I get the other one. Because oh, you don't have another option. You are only registering at Anthropology. I don't care if it's your style or not. Um, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but that's the that's what I'm talking about. And and that I, I think that that speaks to that point is that no one would walk into anthropology and have an expectation of of paying ten dollars for a T-shirt. Right. You're not walking into an H&M. You're walking into an anthropology. Same goes for a Tiffany's. You're not walking in there and haggling them over their prices. You accept it and you walk out of there with the bag, with the experience and if you can put your company's mindset in that same place where you value you value your company, but you also value the experience, you can pinpoint the experience you want people to have by being a client of yours, then you can also funnel that experience a little bit and also sort out all of those, filter out all of those people that are not going to appreciate the experience of being with your business. They're going to haggle you. They're going to be one of those toxic clients. So so keep that in mind. And while you're keeping that in mind, I would love or we would love to have you join us for our next episode where we're going to be discussing something that I think is very true to right now, how to make working from home work. And I'd like to add an addendum to that, how to make working from home work when your entire family is in the house with you all of the time. And how to stay so yeah, it is it's <laughs> grating on my nerves. Like the world cannot open fast enough. Um uh, so so we're going to be discussing uh how to create a, a place for your business that is separate from your home even when both of them exist in the same space. Want to ask a question, leave a comment, or become a sponsor for a future episode of The Business Behind Small Business? Click on the link in the show notes, fill out the form, or email us. Until next time, thanks.